Well, good morning. It's good to uh, be together this morning. Uh, last Sunday, I was uh, here, and then I was not here. Uh, I was here in the morning, and then uh, one of our kids was sick, so Cheryl had to work in the uh, nursery, and then I had to go home and uh, care for uh, our middle daughter, Lucy. So miss being together, uh, yes, last Sunday, but it's good to be back this week. Um, just to let you know where we're going with our teaching series, um, this week I have a message that's just kind of going to stand by itself, an amazing topic that uh, I think will be very relevant to, uh, to a lot of us this morning, um, and you'll see why in a moment. Um, but next week is Easter, and I'm going to be talking about how Jesus meets us in our doubts, how Jesus meets us in our doubts. And then for four weeks after that, we're going to be doing a series called The God You Think You Know. And we're going to try to tackle some really tough questions that I think a lot of us have, and maybe we don't feel like we should even say it. Like, why doesn't God answer all of my prayers? And why is there so much evil in the world? And why does God make me wait? And so uh, we'll, be, we'll be kind of tackling those tough questions in the God you think you know. Uh, we'll also be talking about um, why does it seem that God wants to take away all my fun? I know that some of us don't come to Jesus because we're like, hey, if I come to Christ, it's not going to be fun anymore and I can't do what I want. So that's what we're going to be covering uh, the next four weeks after Easter, and we'll kind of kick that off next week when we talk about how Jesus meets us in our doubts. But today, I want to talk to you about parenting. I want to talk to you about what the Bible says about parenting. Um, I know that not all of us are parents. I know that some of us have children who are grown, and I know that some of us might be in high school and we're like, dude, this doesn't even matter at all. I'm never going to be a parent, and that feels so far away, and I would say it'll get here sooner than you think. And whether we have kids or not, all of us have influence in the lives of children, whether we're grandparents or aunts and uncles or cousins or just friends and neighbors. And so I know that this will bless many of us and I think the good thing about this message is we'll be reminded over and over again of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to tell you a little story. A father was passing by his son's bedroom, and he was astonished to see that his bed was nicely made and everything was picked up neatly. Then he saw an envelope propped up prominently on the pillow that was addressed to dad. With the worst premonition, he opened the envelope with trembling hands, and he began to read the letter. Dear Dad, it is with great regret and sorrow that I am writing you. I hope to elope with my new girlfriend because I wanted to avoid a scene with you and Mom. I've been finding real passion with Stacy, and she is so kind. But I knew you would not approve of her because of all of her piercings and tattoos and tight motorcycle pants and the fact that she is much older than me. But it's not only the passion, Dad. She's also pregnant. Stacy said that we will be very happy. She owns a trailer in the woods and has a stack of firewood for the whole winter. We share a dream of having many more children. Don't worry, Dad. I'm 15, and I know how to take care of myself. Someday I'm sure that Stacy and I will come back to visit you so that you can get to know your grandchildren. Love always, your son, John. P.S. Dad, none of the above is true. I'm over at Tommy's house. I just wanted to remind you that there are worse things in life than the report card that's in my desk drawer. I love you, Dad. Call me when it's safe to come home. I really like the story about Stacy. That was incredible. 
I think most parents want to be great at parenting. I'm a parent. I want to be a great parent. What stands in my way of being a great parent is the fact that there are kids involved. I used to think that to be a great parent meant you had children who are smart, organized, well-dressed, polite, well-behaved, coordinated, and they never had a meltdown in public, even at church. How many parents, you know who you are, saw other parents and quietly whispered to yourself that your child was not going to watch too much TV, only to discover that the TV made a wonderful babysitter when you needed a few moments of peace and you gave up on that quest two months into their life. How many parents said, I'm not gonna give my kids sugar and they're only gonna eat organic until you realize that when you're a young parent, you have no money and can't afford to eat organic and chocolate milk is a good way to get them to just be quiet for a few minutes. Becoming a great parent, parenting that is God-honoring and fruit-bearing and gospel-driven doesn't begin with the strategy. It doesn't begin with the formula. It doesn't begin with six easy steps to becoming an amazing parent. It begins with the confession. Parenting is impossible. Parenting's not just hard. Parenting is impossible. There is nothing natural for me in parenting. I don't naturally think about the welfare of other human beings. You're like, you're a pastor. Yeah, and you're a person and you know exactly what I'm talking about. I am not naturally patient. I am not naturally a servant. I don't naturally look for places to give my time and energy for the good of someone else. Some of you are heroes and think you're like that. But maybe you're just really trying to get approval. Sorry, that's a different message. I'm easily irritated and radically selfish. That's a good spot for an amen. Everything that God calls me to in parenting is completely unnatural for me. What God calls you to do as a parent is impossible because you do not have the natural ability inside of you. You don't have the perfect personality. You don't have what it takes to form and shape the soul of another human being. Something we should probably add to our baby dedications is, oh, and by the way, as you seek to endeavor to raise your kids to love and serve Jesus, that's going to be impossible. If it's not for the grace of God, it's impossible. So what do we need to do before we start this message on parenting? We need to confess together that what God has called parents to is absolutely impossible without God's help, God's grace, and God's rescue. As parents, we need to be rescued from our natural selves and experience the radical transforming work of Jesus Christ in our hearts. So can we confess that together? Let's say it on the count of three. We're gonna say it loud, we're gonna say it proud. When I say three, you are gonna just declare together from the bottom of our guts, parenting is impossible. Are you ready? And if you think it's not impossible, you need to say it the loudest. Ready? We're going to do it. Even if you're not a parent, because you're going to empathize with those who are parents right now. One. I'm serious. We're not a very loud group, but we're going to be loud right now. One, two, three. Parenting is impossible. All right, let's go home. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you this morning and... 
We pray that from your word, you would help us to learn how to be godly parents, and yet from your word, it tells us over and over again that we are completely lost and totally helpless without Jesus Christ. And so teach us to not only be good parents, but deeply dependent parents, dependent on Jesus, dependent on the work of the Holy Spirit to raise children. God, we are in need of help. All the perfect parents aren't here this morning, so we all need this. Help us, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Paul wrote a lot of the New Testament letters. He was writing to Christians in a place called Ephesus. And at the end of his book, he has some simple instructions for children and then for parents. He says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, so if you're a father, ears should perk up. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. All right, so I want to talk to you about a lie that every child believes. This week I heard um, uh, one of my favorite authors and pastors say this. His name is Paul Tripp. He says this, a lie that every child believes, and you know it's true if you have children, like you know that this is true. The lie every child believes is, I'm in charge. If you have kids, you have surely noticed that they don't come out ready, willing, and eager to follow your directions and your leadership. And if you're like, oh, mine does, you're not paying attention. You're probably sleeping a lot more. Like you and I, kids want to do their own thing. How many of us like to do our own thing? How many of us love authority and other people telling us what to do? No one. You don't. You hate it. And guess what? Your kids hate that too. Their refusal to eat their dinner isn't because they are on a diet trying to drop a few pounds for bathing suit season. They're not not eating their dinner because that macaroni and cheese isn't organic. They're not eating their dinner because they are declaring to you, you are not the boss of me. In the heart of every child is the desire to be the ruler of their own life and do things on their own terms. Like us, children have authority issues. The primary task of parenting is not to help your child get a great education so that they can grow up and get a great job. The primary task of parenting is to prepare them to live their lives under the loving authority of another. Put simply, God's will for every child is to obey their parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Why should children obey their parents? Like, it's not because I said so. Paul doesn't actually say it's because he said so. Paul tells us something amazing about why children should obey their parents. Notice that Paul says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. When Paul uses the word obey, when in his writings, he was usually referring to a person's submission to Jesus Christ, the gospel or the teaching of scripture. So when Paul says obey, he's saying, submit your lives to Jesus. So the obedience of Christian children to their parents is connected, is tied to their obedience to Jesus. Paul says that children should obey their parents in the Lord because, catch this, As children learn to obey their parents, they are preparing to live their lives obeying Jesus. 
Children don't primarily obey their parents because parents are older, stronger, and have more authority. That's not why parent or children are primarily commanded to obey their parents. Children are commanded to obey their parents because that is the first place they are learning to follow Jesus. Do you, do you kind of see how that works? Requiring the obedience of your children is their first discipleship moment. When your child refuses to listen to you and obey your directions, which we've all had that moment, you probably had it this morning, you're going to have it this afternoon, you're going to have it at bedtime, you're going to have it in the morning, you're going to have it tomorrow afternoon, you're going to have it tomorrow after, before bed, you're going to have that moment repeatedly when your children don't want to follow you, when your children don't want to obey you. But when your child refuses to listen to you and obey your directions, and we laugh it off, <laughs> isn't Johnny cute? He never listens. I don't know what to do with him. Or we make excuses for them. Oh, they're just tired. Oh, they're hungry. Oh, they didn't get their nap today. Or we ignore it. I'm just going to keep watching Netflix. When we do these things, catch this. I know you didn't mean to do this. I'm not saying this was your intention when you ignored them, laughed it off, or made excuses for them. But catch this. If we really believe the scriptures, which I hope you do, when we let it go, when our, when our children refuse to obey us, you are actually robbing them of God's blessing for their life. When we allow our children to just disobey us and do things on their own terms, you are robbing them of an opportunity to live underneath the beautiful blessing of God. And to drive home his point, Paul points out the incredible blessing that comes to children who learn to obey his or her parents. There's 10 commandments. You're aware of that in the Old Testament. Even if you haven't been in church in a while, you know there's 10 commandments. Paul quotes the fifth commandment here in Ephesians 6, verses 2 and 3. Listen to what Paul says. To children, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. So if we do this commandment, God attaches a promise to it. And what is the promise? So that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. So oftentimes, modern people, modern people like us, when we hear the word obedience, especially some guy in a church standing on stage with a microphone talking about obedience, we shudder. We don't like that. But what God wants us to know is that life always works better for us and our children when we do life his way. The secret of the Christian life is knowing that all of God's commandments don't lead to drudgery, they lead to joy and blessing. God gives us the freedom to do our own thing. And you can give your child freedom to do their own thing. But that will always leave them worse off. Here, Paul is reminding children and parents that the promises of God for children who obey and honor their parents is what? A good and a long life. Okay, so, so this is a promise of God. Children who obey their parents will have a good and a long life. So, Let's just be clear about something. Of course, this promise doesn't mean that children who obey their parents will live to be 100 and never have a bad day, okay? We live in a broken world, and bad things happen. And sometimes young people die. And every person has pain. But the general principle is true. Life always goes better 
for a child when they honor and obey their parents and they enjoy the blessing of life. Children who obey and honor their parents and in turn learn to obey and honor Jesus are going to avoid a lot of life's heartaches that come with resisting authority and doing life on your own terms. Isn't that true? Like, isn't that true in your own experience? When you've resisted Jesus' authority and tried to do life on your own terms, doesn't it result in heartache? That's happened in my life a lot. So with our kids, the reason we require obedience is not because we're angry, grumpy ogres who are control freaks. The reason we require our kids to obey us is because we want the blessing of God all over their life. So do you want your child to have a good and a long life? There's not a parent in the room saying, eh, not really. Hope life's painful and short for them. Require their obedience and teach them to honor you so that they will learn to obey and honor Jesus. Requiring obedience is not about power and control. It's about setting them up for a life under the authority of Jesus Christ, which honestly is the best life in the universe. Submitted, surrendered, following Jesus is where true life is at. But that begs an important question. How should parents teach obedience and help their children learn to honor them? Like, how should parents, if you're like, okay, Joe, I'm with you. I should require the obedience of my children. How should I go about doing it? Paul tells us, Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, I'll talk about why he talks about fathers in a moment. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Well, children are commanded to obey both parents. Fathers have a special responsibility towards them and are specifically addressed here. Why does Paul say fathers and not parents? The reason is, is because fathers had unlimited power over their children and in Paul's day, many fathers were harsh and cruel to their children. But now, Paul is calling parents to bring their children up to obey them in the Lord. Meaning, catch this, because of the work of Christ in the hearts of parents and fathers in particular, the way a Jesus-following dad treats and raises their child is supposed to be radically different than how Roman and Greek fathers parented their kids. Our parenting should remind our children of Jesus. Paul just said this in Ephesians chapter 5, that the father is still the leader of his home. You remember that? That, that husbands are the head of the wife. Husbands are the leaders. But then Paul says something amazing. The way a husband is supposed to lead his family, lead his wife and his kids, was supposed to remind the whole family of the servant leadership of Jesus. So Paul gives two rules for how parents are supposed to teach their children. Two rules for parents. Here they are. Ready? Number one, don't provoke your children. Paul says, don't stir up anger in your children. Other translations say, don't exasperate your children. Maybe your translation actually says, don't provoke your children. In our vernacular, do you know what that means? Don't get, make your children angry. Don't push their buttons. Paul doesn't mean that godly parents will never have a child who is angry with them. That's not what he means. 
Like if your child gets mad at you because you tell them they can't go to the eighth grade dance with Timmy, it's okay because you don't trust Timmy as far as you can throw him, right? And, and then Betsy's in the corner and she's really unhappy and she's like just, Dad, I don't like you. I really want to go with Timmy and now I'm angry. It's okay because you need to keep Timmy away from, from her. That's not what he's talking about. He does mean that godly parents will make it possible for their children to obey and honor them and make it as pleasant as possible. I want to give you two ways that parents provoke their children. How do parents provoke their children? How do parents push their kids' buttons? The first is through unreasonable rules. Every family needs some rules, right? God has rules, but the purpose of every rule should always be for the good of the child or the good of the other members of the family. Not for your convenience, but for the good of the family. So in our house, we have four rules. We used to have three, but we had to add another one. Here are three rules. You could probably ask our kids, what are your rules? Listen to mom and dad. Rule number one, listen to mom and dad. Respect mom and dad. Love one another. They break that one a lot. And number four, don't run when Miss Beverly is home. Miss Beverly is our neighbor who lives downstairs from us, and when Joseph or Lucy or Olivia runs, it sounds like a herd of elephants, and we're sure her life is not going well, so when we see her car outside, we don't run. Those are our four rules. Listen to mom and dad, respect mom and dad, love one another, and don't run when Miss Beverly's home. Parents who run a household with endless rules, who par some parents love making up new rules, make it impossible for a child to actually succeed at obedience. Conversely, parents who have no rules, we know the types, right? Like, we're not going to look at anybody, but we know the types, right? Like, there's the real uptight parents with long lists of rules, and there's the real laid-back parents with no rules, and then we all hope we're in the middle somewhere, perfectly balanced parenting, and there's no one in the middle. But parents who have no rules actually rob their children of the safety of clear boundaries. And as your kids grow up, and they start asking why you have certain rules... Wise parents will refrain from the beloved phrase, because I said so. That works till about five. And honestly, you don't need to explain the rules to a one-and-a-half-year-old, okay? They don't even know what day it is. They can't even go to the bathroom alone yet. You don't need to give them an explanation. But especially in the adolescent and preteen years and teenage years, as parents have to make harder decisions about rules regarding phones and curfews and social media and driving. I can't believe my kids are going to drive someday. And boyfriends and girlfriends, which is clear in our house, you can date when you're 48. It rhymes. It'll be wonderful. You can date when you're 48. But we have to kind of make some decisions, right? Like it's better to have a rule around when you're allowed to date than for Johnny to come home in seventh grade and say, I've got a girlfriend, Mom. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm sure that's very healthy and loving and, and God-honoring in every way. Oh, it's cute. No, you should talk about the fact that there needs to be some realities around when is a good time for another small person to start having romantic feelings towards another smart, uh, small person. And like, when does that actually make sense for them to go on dates and never be alone in the basement? Just a little, like, extra. Never be alone in the basement until they're 48. That's just a good rule. Or they've said, I do. 
But we have to make some rules and we have to have some reasons around the rules. And I want to encourage you this morning as a thoughtful parents to be willing to give your kids reasons why you have rules that you do. Write this down. Rules without reasons will lead to rebellion. Parents who don't have time to sit down and talk about why they want to do things the way they do things in their home and they just walk around like a grumpy bear saying, because I said so, you're just driving your kids away. You're just kicking them away. It's like, these are the rules. I don't care about you. I don't care about your thoughts. I don't care about your feelings. We're not going to talk about it. I'm the boss. Get away from me. That's not good godly parenting. So it's good to have conversations about why. Why are mom and dad, or if you're a single parent, why is just mom or why is just dad? Why do we have some of these rules? And then write this down as well. Rules without relationship will lead to rebellion. Not only do we need to give our kids reasons, but we need to pursue relationship with our kids. And I would say, um, I've heard uh, Dick Gruber, one of our elders, say this lots of times. One of the most important things parents can do, maybe the most important things parents can do is, as their kids get older and they want to snuggle less and be around you less, and everyone's like, yeah, I know that stage. Like, I know some of our teenagers, like, you know, your parents aren't the coolest people in the world. Like, we get that. They will be someday when you need money. But, um, <laughs> but the point is, is that never stop pursuing your kids even when they're pulling away. Never stop pursuing your kids even when they're pulling away. Because you know what? You still have to tell them no when they're pulling away but they also need to know that you love them and they, you care about them. So don't stir them up to anger. Keep pursuing them even when they're saying, Mom and Dad, you're not as cool as I thought you were when I was six. Here's the second thing that provokes children to anger. Unbiblical goals. Unbiblical goals. Don't load your children down with the pressure of being the valedictorian. Jesus is not going to ask you about that when they get to heaven. Don't put that pressure on them to be the next Derek Jeter or Warren Buffett or LeBron James or you name our super famous person that you want your children to become like. God's will for your child's life is not to be the smartest, most talented, richest, most beautiful person. God's will for your child's life isn't to make you look like a good parent. God's will for your child's life isn't to be amazing at piano or violin. I love the piano and violin. God's will for your child's life is to love and follow Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love their neighbor as themselves. Wanting your child to give their best effort and succeed is wonderful and good. Just be careful that you aren't subtly communicating that success, little league, education, and talent is actually more important to you than God's gracious work in their hearts. Don't have unbiblical goals for your kids. So if the first rule for parents is don't provoke them, what should parents be doing? Number two, commit to the process of parenting. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Paul is telling us that parenting is a process, right? That is what he is saying when he says, bring them up. Children are not raised in a moment. Parenting is like running a marathon with no shoes on. 
As you're running along, you feel every rock in the road, every divot, every crack. You break some bones along the way. Your toenails fall off. And sometimes you want to give up because the finish line feels really far away. And I just want to tell you this morning that the finish line of parenting is not 18. Your children will need you as long as you have breath. Your role will change, but they'll need your wisdom and your counsel. That's why relationship now will be wonderful later. Get through the hard seasons by pursuing relationship. And when you're running this parenting marathon with no shoes on and the finish line feels so far away and you know you would do anything to put your feet up for a few minutes, godly parents keep going. They keep committing to raising their children in the training and instruction of the Lord. What does that mean? That sounds so churchy. What does that mean to bring people up in the training and instruction of the Lord? Simply, training is about discipline. This means that godly parents are willing to lovingly discipline them and teach them what it looks like to follow Jesus even though they know they have a long way to go themselves. Do you know what will radically transform how you discipline your children? You need to stop saying, I can't believe you did that. Really? You know what the hardest thing for me about being a parent is? Seeing all my flaws in my kids. And every time they do something, and I say, I can't believe you did that. I said that to my son a couple weeks ago because he was waited a really long time on a project that was due the next day. And all of a sudden, we needed to like just you know, turn the house upside down to get this project done. And I said, I can't believe you did that. And I just felt like, wait, I can't believe I did what? Procrastinate? Do you know how many times I've done that? Let's stop saying that. But discipline is necessary for children. And it needs to be consistent and it needs to be firm, and it needs to be filled with love, not anger. There can be abuse when we discipline our children in anger. If you're too angry to discipline your children in love, give yourself a time out, talk to Jesus, and get your heart in the right place before you decide to spank or discipline or pour out consequences. We spank our kids, but we make a conscious effort that we're not doing it with an angry look on our face. Have we failed? Many times. And when I say we, I mean me, not Cheryl. But we want to be committed to disciplining our kids, not because they need to become amazing, but because we want them to learn that when they do life God's way, there's a lot less pain. There are no shortcuts in parenting. Children need constant and patient discipline and constant and patient instruction. So what your kids need you to teach them, if the training is the discipline, what's the instruction? This is the most important part of the message. Your kids need you to teach them the gospel. Every child needs to know that God loves them deeply and they are in desperate need of Jesus' transforming grace in their rebellious, anti-authority hearts. Every time your child mistreats their siblings, disrespects you, or throws a fit because you said no, it's a God-given opportunity for you to patiently and lovingly point to them that they have a broken place in their heart and only Jesus can fix it. They need to be rescued. Sometimes if we give our kids so many rules and they start to follow them, they will have no need of Christ when they get older if they feel like they can do it. 
But when they fail and when they sin and we point them to Jesus and we constantly tell them, do you know Jesus died for your sin? Do you know that Jesus loves you right now in the midst of your sin? Do you know that Jesus welcomes all those who will come to him and admit that they are in need? We give out a lot of laws in parenting. We need to give out more grace, more gospel. We need to let our kids feel the rhythms of grace that flow from the heart of God over their life. Our kids need to know that they're, when they do the wrong thing, if you send your kids away when they do the wrong thing and you don't go to them, you make them start to believe that when they grow up and do the wrong thing, God does not want to be close to them when they do the wrong thing. And do we see that? Do we see that we serve a God who doesn't want to be around people who do the wrong thing? No. We serve Jesus Christ who came into a world filled with long things, wrong things. He left heaven and he came to earth and he said, here I am living among the people who are always doing the wrong thing and I love them and I care for them and I'm going to die for them. So when we parent, we need to go to our kids. We need to love on them. We need to hug them before we discipline them, after we discipline them. And we need to keep showing them, you can't do this alone. You need Christ. The reason you have to obey me is because you need Christ and you need the authority of another. And his authority is good and it's loving and it's kind and it always leads to your good. What our kids need most is the gospel. Parents who are bringing up their children in the Lord don't discipline their children to hurt them or injure them or retaliate. They teach them and they instruct them, and they show them that life always works best when Jesus is on the throne of their heart. What God has tasked parents with is laying the foundation of life with Jesus and the lives of their kids. So Cheryl and I, um, we're looking for a new home. So we've been house hunting. Um, we've been doing it now for about six weeks, and We've really enjoyed looking for a new house. We've been praying for a new house for a long time. Uh, because of Miss Beverly, she lives downstairs, and we want to let our kids act like kids. And so it's just time for a new house for the Terrari family. And so we've been looking at new homes, and we were looking online, and we do what everyone does. We find beautiful homes that are not in our price range, and then we try to convince ourselves we could do it. And then we're like, Dave Ramsey wouldn't like that, and neither would Jesus, so we're not going to do that. And so, you know, and so you, you start to come to grips with what you can afford. And, and so we've gone on a couple of house showings. And, and, and probably like you, if you've looked for a new home, you walk in the front door and you just start to look around and you look at the kitchen. And you're like, all right, can I have people over? Can I get my thing done in this kitchen? Can I move around? We looked at a house yesterday. I almost didn't fit in the bathroom. All right, we still might buy it because um, not everyone's 6'8". And so... And so there's just wonderful things. You look at the bedrooms, you look at the closet space. This house we looked at yesterday had a finished basement, it had a yard. And when you walk into a house, you're looking for certain things. A number of bedrooms, a number of bathrooms, updates. Is this a fixer-upper or can we move right in? But do you know what we really rarely look at until my friend Roger trained me to look at this? We rarely look at the foundation. All the homes on Zillow and Trulia don't show you the foundation. They only show you the inside. And they are trying to project how beautiful a home is on the inside and all of the external things and all the details. But do you know 
that without a good foundation, no matter how beautiful the home is on the outside, if the foundation has cracks and holes in it, that is not a good house for your family. Why? Because everything is built on the foundation. In parenting, you are doing the most unglamorous job anyone will do in the life of your child. You're doing the foundational work. You're laying the foundation for your kids to learn to love and follow Jesus. You're obviously teaching them things about how to work hard and about how to do well in school and maybe how to cook and, and just a whole bunch of skills. Some of you are wonderful at carpentry or, or fishing and you pass these skills on to your children, which is wonderful, but that's not foundational. The foundation of your child's life, what they need to build on for the rest of their life is Jesus Christ. The greatest gift Parents who are failures, like you and like me, can give to their kids, it's Jesus. You will parent imperfectly. You will fail. You will get older and wish you had done some things differently. But I would encourage you this morning, give them Christ. Give them the gospel. Help them to see that mom and dad are more passionate about Jesus than they are about grades and success and achievement. So what does that mean for every person in this room? The foundation of our lives must be Jesus. Your kids will build their lives how you are building your life. If you are building your life on your career and on success and on bigger and better and more and more and you're always celebrating stuff and not the gracious work of Christ and the goodness of God and worship doesn't matter to you and Jesus, you're just kind of apathetic towards, your kids are going to see that. Maybe God will graciously send someone else into their life who's passionate for Christ. But the foundation that you need to give your kids is your passionate, loving, dynamic relationship with Jesus. Bringing him your sin, enjoying his grace, walking with him, talking with him, being close to him. Because what kids need most is parents who know how to lay the foundation. The house isn't beautiful yet, and no one wants to buy it, but that foundation will mean whether that house will be good and useful or whether that house will fall apart. And Jesus can begin to put together what's broken today. Today. Today can be a new day in your life and in your parenting. I didn't come here this morning to make people feel like they stink at parenting. I came here to tell you it's impossible and to throw yourself on the grace of Jesus and to come to him and to run to him and to enjoy him and to give your children Christ. That's what they need most. I'll close with these three action points. Number one, what should you do in response to this message? Confess the impossibility of your task 
you can't save your kid. You can't save your kid. If you give your kids Christ and you point them to Jesus and they don't want Jesus, that's not on you. So you need to plead with the Lord, God, graciously work in the life of my child. And I'm talking to you whether your kid is 6 or 26. If they're going to come back to the Lord, if they're going to follow the Lord, it's going to be a work of grace, not your amazing parenting. Number two, start where you are. God is the parent your child has always needed, not you. So if you feel like you failed, today is a fresh start. It's a day of new beginnings. Look to Jesus. Come to him. And the third thing is pray, pray, and pray some more. We can't have lukewarm prayer lives over our children. If you're not praying for your kids, who is? Pray for them. Pray that God would do all that he wants to in and through them. Pray that God would open their heart. Pray that God would keep them from people who would influence them in the wrong direction. Pray that God would make them an influencer so that God would use their life to turn other hearts towards Jesus. Pray that God's kingdom would come and will would be done in their lives. Pray that they would say yes to the Lord's calling on their life. pray. That's all I got. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for this church. Lord, on any given week, we have close to 100 or over 100 kids here. And God, there's a lot of parents in this church. And God, we just agree together that we need you. And God, I pray for every parent in this room that we would be giving our kids the gospel of Jesus, not the gospel of good works and the gospel of politeness and the gospel of being a good little boy or a good little girl, but the gospel of Jesus, which says we need to be rescued from ourselves and we need a new heart and we need God's grace every moment of our lives. Help us to be gospel-oriented parents. And Lord, for those of us who don't have kids, I pray for us today that you would use our lives to to influence the children in our lives for Christ. Use us strategically. Let us be a tool in your hand to turn young hearts towards Christ. And Lord, for the grandparents in this room, I pray that you would increase their influence and you would give them wisdom. And Lord, they would enjoy so much spoiling their grandkids and also telling them about the goodness and the joy that they have in Christ. Lord, be merciful to us. I pray for everyone in this room who doesn't know you, that they would give their heart to you because, God, you are ready for them this morning. Lord, you want to save every person in this room. You desire relationship with every person in this room, and it can only be found through putting our faith in Jesus Christ. May we all today say, Jesus, I want to follow you. In your strong name I pray, amen. Amen. Amen.